Hey there, welcome to another episode of the American Dream Small Business Podcast, where we're crazy passionate about entrepreneurship. If you're new with us, we drop a brand new episode on the second Thursday of every month. I'm your host, Tom Harold, and this is where we empower entrepreneurs to live out their dreams doing exactly what they want to do. We believe entrepreneurs should make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. But we're finally here. It's our first episode, the inaugural show of the American Dream. And I'm happy to bring it to you today on Dr. Martin Luther King Day to commemorate his 1963 speech, the I Have a Dream speech. That speech is perhaps uh, the best vision statement I think I've ever heard. It's a great example for entrepreneurs how to convey a dream into a vision because it's the vision that inspires people. It's the vision that inspires people to act, to follow, to listen, and to get involved in something. Well, that's the same thing with a business. You want to inspire people to, to buy your products, buy your services, but you also want to buy, uh, inspire people to listen to you and to be excited to tell other people about what you have going on. Well, we want to na- um, title the episode today, It All Starts With a Dream. I think that that's one of the most important elements of starting a business is having that dream and being able to convey that dream with passion into a vision statement. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood So let's get busy. Episode one of the American Dream podcast. It all starts with a dream. I'm your host, Tom Harold, and we're talking today about vision statements. If you were a business owner, how do you identify yourself to a complete stranger? How would you engage them to get them to have some kind of an interest in what you do? How about if you're an executive at a large publicly traded firm or a new college grad or someone who just started your first job as a lab technician? How do you pique someone's interest, even if they're a stranger? An elevator pitch has to quickly connect with people and engage them. It's called an elevator pitch for one reason, and that's to convey the the image that you're on an elevator with a stranger, and you have about one minute of time to tell that person about your business idea, tell that person about who you are. How would you answer that question? How would you engage them? What would you say? Well, imagine yourself at one of those awkward networking uh, meetings or a cocktail party where you see people standing around with their hands in their pockets, and somebody comes up with that proverbial, what do you do for a living question? How would you answer them? Well, if you think about them as a listener, you get past all the niceties and all the social etiquette. Deep down, what they really want to know is two things. They want to know, who are you and why does it matter to me? When you engage people, this is what they're thinking, understanding that They want to get past all the the niceties of of the evening, and they want to know exactly who you are and why does it matter to them. But if you look at it from your perspective, it's your chance to actually sell yourself, to sell your business, to sell your network, to sell them on the idea that you need to be in their network and they need to be in yours. You never know. It could be a potential or prospective customer for someday. It could be somebody who could be an investor in your business. Or more importantly, it could be somebody who would be an influencer, an influencer to tell others about your business, your business idea, your product, your service, or whatever it might be. To be able to do that, you want to be able to have a good chance to make make a good first impression. I don't know, your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, or somebody in your past might have told you you only get one chance to make a good first impression. What's well, the same thing on an elevator pitch? You really have to do so and engage people so they remember you. And you have that one, that one minute of time, 
factor it down to one minute at a time. It's really one minute of their attention. And, and really, in that time, you want to leave them with three things. Who you are, what you do, and why does it matter? I'm going to say that again. You have one minute of time to leave them with a, the idea of who you are, what you do, and why does it matter. You have one minute to leave a lasting impression because if you don't, they're going to forget you as quickly as they would a bad joke. Key point to be remembered here is to be memorable. And what you want to do is to, to, to do something, however odd it might be, whatever your own personality traits are, let that come in. Your passion is what people are going to pay attention to. It's, when it, it's what's going to catch their attention. Your passion is going to come past all the awkwardness that you might have in, in a social environment. It's going to come past all the doubts you might have about your business idea. If you believe it, you're going to get them excited. It's the same kind of passion that Dr. King did with his I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that he was going to change the world. We still remember that, what, 50-some years later. We remember that today. You want that person to remember you as much as they remember Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Let your passion shine through. It's your passion that's going to actually capture people's attention. It's your passion that's going to excite them and pique their interest. It's your passion that's going to engage them like a puppy dog wagging its tail. Dr. King may have had a vision to change the world, but it was his passion that actually caught people's attention. It was his passion that people remember in his speaking ability. The powerful speech that he gave and all the colorful metaphors were driven by that passion. It inspired people to be part of it. People wanted to listen. It engaged them. It inspired them to, to be part of a movement because they believed. They believed that they could change the world too along with him and they wanted to be part of that. Steve Jobs did the same thing. He had a dream to put a computer in the hands of everyday people. People wanted to listen anytime he would come out with a new product because they wanted it to be part of that new innovation. He inspired us, he inspired an entire generation to be on the cutting edge of technology and to be innovative. Part of Apple's biggest strengths is that they are the leading edge of technology, mainly because of Steve Jobs' passion about innovation. I have worked with business owners who come from around the world from all seven continents, in fact. And many of them describe America as the land of milk and honey or the land of opportunity. But I have to say one thing that they all have in common is a deep belief in the American dream. It's their passion and this belief of, is as the main driving force of why we have this podcast. And there's no better way, I think, than that we can begin a new decade, a new year, and a new quarter, and a new month about business than when first talking about perhaps the most important element of a business plan, and that's the vision statement, the I, the I have a dream speech. So what is a vision statement? A vision is the mental picture of the future that you want it to be, that you desire. It's how you see the future differently from what it is today. It's more important than just a goal. A vision is the embodiment of hopes and dreams in a particular area. It's the picture of what has not yet happened, but instead what may be. In the sense of business, it's what Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak contrived in their garage in Los Altos, California, many years ago. It's what Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, dreamt up in his garage in Bellevue, Washington in 1994 after reading an article about the future of the Internet sales. A vision statement is their version of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Sam Walton, he was just a small-town guy from Arkansas, and he had a dream, too. His dream he wrote down on the back of a napkin where he could save people money so they could live better. Steve... Sam and Dr. King all believe that they could change the world, and they did. Having vision is absolutely critical to the success of any business. It communicates the dream. It communicates the passion. It communicates the essence of the entrepreneur's spirit. 
Vision is driven by this passion. It's a very powerful tool to achieve the results that you, that you want and need. It gives you and your team a very clear sense of purpose. Now, goals and objectives, they may come from the head and they're thought out and so forth, but a vision actually comes from the heart. It comes from deep inside somebody. It's that passionate conviction that this dream that you might have can actually be achieved. It gives people the ability to say, I believe. What it does, it inspires people to listen. It inspires them to follow. It inspires people to, to believe. It gives them a reason to buy into your idea. But most importantly, what it does, it inspires people to act. One common mistake people make with a uh, vision statement is they confuse it with a mission statement. The difference between a mission statement and a vision statement is that the mission statement deals with the right now. It deals with the present. A vision statement is talking about tomorrow. It's talking about the future. It encompasses that dream and that passion about what tomorrow can, can become, what this business could be like tomorrow in the future. Simon Sinek, he's a renowned author, has written several books. He says that a vision is the essence of why we do things. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it, according to Simon. Now, he had a TED Talk from back in 2009. That TED Talk is called How, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Here's an, an excerpt from it. Have a listen. How do you explain when things don't go as we assume? Or better, how do you explain when others are able to achieve things that seem to defy all of the assumptions? For example, why is Apple so innovative? Year after year after year after year, they're more innovative than all their competition. And yet, they're just a computer company. They're just like everyone else. They have the same access to the same talent, the same agencies, the same consultants, the same media. Then why is it that they seem to have something different? Why is it that Martin Luther King led the civil rights movement? He wasn't the only man who suffered in a pre-civil rights America. And he certainly wasn't the only great orator of the day. Why him? And why is it that the Wright brothers were able to figure out controlled powered man flight when there were certainly other teams who were better qualified, better funded, and they didn't achieve powered man flight. And the Wright brothers beat them to it. There's something else at play here. About three and a half years ago, I made a discovery. And this discovery profoundly changed my view on how I thought the world worked, and it even profoundly changed the way in which I operate in it. As it turns out, there's a pattern. As it turns out, all the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world, whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright brothers, they all think, act, and communicate the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite to everyone else. All I did was codify it. And it's probably the world's simplest idea. I call it the golden circle. Why, how, what? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do, 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP. But very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. 
That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose? What's your cause? What's your belief? Why does your organization exist? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? And why should anyone care? Well, as a result, the way we think, the way we act, the way we communicate is from the outside in. It's obvious. We go from the clearest thing to the fuzziest thing. But the inspired leaders and the inspired organizations, regardless of their size, regardless of their industry, all think, act, and communicate from the inside out. Let me give you an example. I use Apple because they're easy to understand and everybody gets it. If Apple were like everyone else, a marketing message from them might sound like this. We make great computers. They're beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Want to buy one? Meh. And that's how most of us communicate. That's how most marketing is done, that's how most sales are done, and that's how most of us communicate interpersonally. We say what we do, we say how we're different or how we're better, and we expect some sort of behavior, a purchase, a vote, something like that. Here's our new law firm. Uh, we have the best lawyers with the biggest clients. We have, you know, we always perform for our clients, do business with us. Here's our new car. It gets great gas mileage, it has, you know, leather seats. Buy our car. But it's uninspiring. Here's how Apple actually communicates. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make great computers. Want to buy one? Totally different, right? You're ready to buy a computer from me. All I did was reverse the order of the information. What it proves to us is that people don't buy what you do, people buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. This explains why every single person in this room is perfectly comfortable buying a computer from Apple. But we're also perfectly comfortable buying an MP3 player from Apple, or a phone from Apple, or a DVR from Apple. But as I said before, Apple's just a computer company. There's nothing that distinguishes them structurally from any of their competitors. Their competitors are all equally qualified to make all of these products. In fact, they tried. A few years ago, Gateway came out with flat screen TVs. They're eminently qualified to make flat screen TVs. They've been making flat screen monitors for years. Nobody bought one. And Dell. Dell came out with MP3 players and PDAs. And they make great quality products, and they can make perfectly well-designed products, and nobody bought one. In fact, talking about it now, we can't even imagine buying an MP3 player from Dell. Why would you buy an MP3 player from a computer company? But we do it every day. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. The goal is not to do business with, anybody, with everybody who needs what you have. The goal is to do business with people who believe what you believe. That's Simon Sinek from a 2009 TED Talk where he, uh, it's titled How Great Leaders Inspire Action. I love listening to Simon any chance uh, that I can get. I know one of his early books is called Find Your Why. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was insightful and refreshing, actually. I'm reading his new book now called The Infinite Game. Uh, I recommend it as well. I'll let you know how that goes after I finish it. Okay, that means it's time to play small business trivia. Every month we like to take a break from the podcast and learn something about a famous entrepreneur. 
Well, this month, what we want to do is we want to learn about two brothers that provided uh, the sports shoes or the athletic track shoes that Jesse Owens wore in the 1936 Olympics. Okay, let's get started. Let's get started with the question, did you know? Did you know that two of the, the largest powerhouses in the athletic footwear industry today, the $22 billion Adidas Corporation and its smaller counterpart, the $4.5 billion Puma Company, they actually sh share the same roots going back to the late 1920s, early 1930s, where two brothers, Adi Dosler and Rudy Dosler, founded the Dosler Shoe Company in Germany. They did so because they specialized in footballers, what we would call soccer shoes. Their shoes had spikes on them. They also made up and invented uh, rubberized running shoes, and those two uh, products did pretty well. That with track and field, which was up and coming, and everybody was looking forward to that, especially fast forward to the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, where Adolf Hitler was going to showcase his Aryan race and dominate the games, as he thought. Well, that was until Jesse Owens and the Americans, they had a little bit of a different idea on that. Well, we all know what the history books read today, where... Yes, he went to the games, broke all the record books, and he wrote a few of the pages for himself. But what a lot of people don't realize is that prior to those games, Adi Dosler secretly gave Jesse his running shoes and his track shoes that he used during the games. Now, it wasn't that Adi was being a nice guy. He was actually being a marketing genius. He knew that Jesse was going to do well in the games and wanted to capitalize on the notoriety of the event, but also on Jesse's success. He did so to help him break into the U.S. market, which it did. And the company was doing very, very well until World War II happened. World War II happened. It sort of put, a, put the skids on the business for a while. And then when the, the war ended and Germany actually lost, the company wasn't doing very well uh, financially. So Adi and Rudy had a little bit of a different of opinion on where to take the company and how to restart it after the war. And that difference, they couldn't resolve it. So... Um, Adi, he took two-thirds of the employees with him that really believed in his ideas, and he formed Adidas, named after his first name and his last name, Adi Dosler Adidas. Well, Rudy, he started the Puma Company, named it a little bit differently, but those two companies have been arch rivals ever since World War II. Well, every month we like to dig up some interesting uh, business trivia and share with you as, as uh, facts, maybe facts that you can talk to your friends about. It's usually fun to talk about over a beer. In fact, uh, my brother, he likes to refer to him as Tom Facts. He doubts most of them that everything that I that I say. But I like to look them up and, and, and find little stories like the uh, Dosler brothers and how they started their business and share them with you each and every month. And I hope you enjoy that. We're going to keep that going uh, on future podcasts, so uh, pay attention. And if you've got an idea, email us and, uh, and let me know what you'd like to hear about, and we'll look that up as well. You can email us at, uh, just email me, tom at herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, dot associates. Or you could just uh, visit our website, herald.associates, and leave a message with us on, uh, on our podcast. Well, let's get back to our discussion on vision statements. In review, what we have talked about so far is Dr. Martin Luther King and his I Have a Dream speech, and using that as an example of what a vision statement is. Tying the vision statement with all the passion he did in his uh and his, his speech, of course, is uh, being able to tie that into a one-minute elevator pitch where you can actually take a complete stranger and tell them who you are, what you do, and why does it matter. 
we did that, and then uh, we followed it up and tied it in with uh, Simon Sinek and his TED Talk on the Golden Circle. He was talking about that uh, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And he was focused on teaching us uh, that people uh, or businesses, they're, they're good at communicating what you do, not so good at communicating the why behind it and how important that is to defining that elevator pitch or summarizing it in a way that people can understand it. Because like he said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it and the passion that's behind that. Well, in talking about that, we, we differentiated the vision statement from a mission statement and basically tying that in that nobody wants to be sold, but we all love to buy. And the mission statement deals with today where the vision statement deals with what you're describing tomorrow going to be. But the, the vision statements is what people buy into. The vision statement is the passion behind your business idea. It's what they listen to. It's what they're going to engage. It's what they're going to tell other people about. And I like to, to use that as a good example from going from Dr. King from his I Have a Dream speech to the elevator pitch because I think that being able to articulate what your business idea to a stranger is probably one of the most challenging things an entrepreneur has to face. But if you're able to do so, you're able to do so to your to the people that you don't know. You're also able to take that same message and share it with people that you know very well. But don't forget, you have to be passionate about it. It's your passion that actually inspires others to listen. Well, it's time for our monthly small business book review. Every month, I like to feature a section in the podcast when we title it the American Dream Book Club, where we spotlight a book that's uh, based on business fundamentals or leadership. This month, I chose the book by uh, Seth God and his book called Purple Cow, Transform Your Business by Being Remarkable. I gave it a four out of five star rating, and I really think that it fits perfectly into our discussion today about uh, vision statements. Your elevator pitch needs to be memorable. It needs to be remarkable. It needs to stand out, like Seth calls it, a purple cow. Although his book is uh, small, it's dense, and it's packed with remarkable information. It would take several podcasts to cover all the great insights and examples of modern marketing. But today what I'm going to do is highlight some of the biggest takeaways from the book. Godin begins by discussing the former P's of successful marketing, product, pricing, place, promotion, positioning, packaging, and publicity. He goes on to say that in today's market, these old P's just aren't cutting it anymore. And he argues that in order for a company to be successful, they have to strive after an all-new P, as he coins it, the purple cow. A purple cow is remarkable. It sticks out like a sore thumb among the other cows. It draws attention, and it's memorable. It's worth talking about. It's perplexing, and it's far from being boring. In order to get uh, or to keep your business from being just like the rest of the crowded industry, you have to switch it up and strive after transforming your business into a purple cow. Your remarkable elevator pitch comes into play. Your business needs sneezers. Godwin describes a sneezer as someone who spreads your idea virus. These are the people who are willing to tell everyone they know about your business, about your passion, about your awesome product or service, and every market needs them. In order to create an idea virus within your business, you have to find and woo sneezers. You do so with your elevator pitch, and in order to woo them, you have to target a niche. By focusing on a specific segment of people within a market, you can overwhelm them with your idea and with your passion, causing them to respond. It's in this narrow market that Godwin says that the uh, sneezers are more than likely to spread the word slash virus about your business and actually start a trend. Then if you're good, or better if you're lucky, that innovation will spread. After it dominates the original niche, it will migrate to the masses.
I love the visual of idea viruses and the sneezers who spread the message, doing the hard work of marketing your business for you. Word of mouth is the most expensive form of advertising, especially today with all the digital technology that's out there. It's riskier to be safe, and it's safer to be risky. This phrase is by far one of my biggest takeaways from Purple Cow. It's easy to want to play it safe in business and in life, for that matter. We're all naturally afraid of risk and uncertainty. There are so few Purple Cows out there because everyone is following the rules and no one questions the status quo. Godin argues that it's these rules that ultimately lead to failure. It's much riskier to be safe and blend in with the masses, and it's safer to be risky and to set yourself apart from the rest. The following quotes are motivating for me. In a crowded marketplace, fitting in is failing. In a busy marketplace, not standing out is the same as being invisible. You can't know if your purple cow is guaranteed to work. You can't even know if, if uh, it's remarkable enough or too risky. That's the point. It's unpredictability. The unpredictability of this outcome is what may actually makes it work. The lesson is simple. Boring always leads to failure. Boring is always the most risky strategy. Smart business people know this, and uh, they realize and they work very hard to minimize but not eliminate the risk in the process. Risk makes people go wow. Purple Cow epitomizes that wow factor. The ultimate goal when you share your I have a dream speech is to have a, a customer or a prospective a follower actually respond by saying wow. It's time for our closing quote. This month's quotes from Yogi Berra. You have to be careful if you don't know where you're going. You might not get there. I think that quote's appropriate for today, and it sort of ties into a vision statement about knowing where you're going. And uh, actually, to sum up our, our inaugural episode of The American Dream, we talked about vision statements, the most important first step in writing a business plan. The vision statement it needs to stand out in a uh, very crowded uh, market needs to stand out like a purple cow, like Seth Godin talks about. It needs to be memorable. It needs to inspire people to act like Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. It needs to convey who you are, what you do, and why it matters. And like with us with our podcast, The American Dream, we empower entrepreneurs to change the world. We teach them how to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm Tom Harold, and this is The American Dream. Thank you for listening to the American Dream Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please hit like and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating. For more information, or if you just have questions, please visit herald.associates forward slash podcast. That's H-E-R-A-L-D dot associates forward slash podcast.